we've given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! All right, any guesses? You think, don't talk, yeah, you ready? Here, here it is. Did you pay some money on this? Did you pay, place a bet with your spouse, what you think? Most common topic in all of Proverbs, mentioned more than 100 times. Did you know this? More than 100 times in 30 chapters. Today, we are going to talk about the important topic of money. Money. Anybody actually guess it? Anybody guess it? Aren't you glad you came to church, right? Uh, Today, to get started, I want to start with some financial wisdom from a, a prominent theologian in our day, a, a brilliant scholar when it comes to this topic of money. This is from Professor Chris Jansen. Listen to his wisdom that he writes. He, he writes this, I know everybody says money can't buy happiness, but it could buy me a boat. It could buy me a truck to pull it. It could buy me a Yeti 110 ice down with some silver bullets. Yeah, I know what they say, money can't buy everything, but maybe so. Because it could buy me a boat. Anybody familiar with one of my favorite, favorite songs right now? Christian, it's some wisdom about money, right? Money can't buy happiness, we know that. And yet, we still kind of worry about money all the time. In fact, I was reading an article this week, an annual stress survey that has, is done by the American Psychological Association. You ready for this? American Psychological Association surveys tens of thousands of people on their stresses and what it is that caused stress. You know the number one thing this last year that caused stress? Number one thing, money. Financial stress, number one thing. Not only that, it has been the number one thing since the year they began the survey in 2007. The answer has not changed. It's only gotten worse. Interesting finding out of this study, by the way, women, did you know women, you are 10% more stressed out about money than your husband, right? So see, this is even harder on you, right? According to the study, according to the study. Maybe your husband is an exception to the norm on that one. I'll let you guys talk about that. So I thought this morning, since, since this is just something we're all in, right? we're all in this boat, I thought we would start with a group confession. Group confession. So here's, this is going to be participation. You're going to raise your hand, right? So if, you, if you've ever stressed about money, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, right? Uh, not, not yet, not yet, not yet. I'm, y'all are so excited about this. This is great. Uh, no, no, this, not yet. Let me read some categories and see if these apply to you. You ready? Here we go. If you've ever worried about saving, or maybe you've worried, I don't have enough saved, or I don't know how much I've saved, or I've never saved a dime, and you've ever worried, that this might be, or, or maybe if you've ever worried about retirement, and you've thought, do I have enough? Have I saved up enough? What's the number I need to get to in order to be comfortable when I retire? Maybe you've worried about that. Or maybe you've worried about budget, and you've thought, uh, gosh, I, I'm worried I've blown my budget, or, or maybe you've never blown a budget because you've never had a budget to blow and that worries you, or, right? I mean, or, or how about this? Uh, maybe you're worried because you don't know if you've taught your kids enough about money, right? What are, what are my kids, are they going to be good financial managers? Are they going to be good stewards of their resources? Maybe that worries you. Maybe you're worried because today you invited a friend to church and you've been wanting them to come to church for 12 months and here they are, they finally came today and it's the one time in the whole year the pastor's talking about money. (laughs) 
Truth is, we all worry, don't we? We do. We just do. Something about this money. We know money is a tool, but oh, it's a tool unlike any other tool in our lives. Causes us so much heartache, so much stress. Well, it turns out the writer of the book of Proverbs actually shared this same anxiety. Did you know that? At the very end of the book of Proverbs, second to last chapter, he gives us his kind of final thoughts. Hey, this is this fine. In fact, in chapter 30, he actually gives us a prayer, and it's about this worry about money. Listen to what he prays. He prays this. Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Interesting. Why? Give me just enough to satisfy my needs, for if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. The proverb writer stressed about money. How much was too much? How little was too little? What was he supposed to do in light of this? Now, thankfully, The Proverbs offer us all kinds of wisdom on money and possessions. In fact, I mentioned 103 times this topic is addressed in 30 chapters of the Proverbs. And so what I want to do is I just want to look at some of these today and look at, we're specifically going to look at four lessons that the Proverbs offer us on money. Four lessons that the Proverbs teach us about living financially free. Because for all of us, freedom from financial anxiety is what we want, isn't it? But freedom from financial anxiety is not an issue of net worth. It's an issue of the heart. And so we're going to do a little bit of reflection on our own hearts today. For some of y'all, you're really good with money. I mean, some of you are like professional money managers. I I talked to three people in the last service who all work for Bank of America. And it's like, okay, you guys guys probably already get this, right? You're already pros. For them and for you, if that's you, this will just be review. And you can be like, yeah, I'm doing that pretty well. I'm doing that pretty well. Good. Uh, But for the rest of us, the other 99% of us, (laughs) this might just be life-changing. This just might be life-changing. If we could just implement one of these four lessons, it might be enough to change our lives. And that's what I want to look at with you today. A little caveat up front. I was thinking about this, you know. uh, Money is not a fun topic for a pastor to talk about in spite of uh, the the notion. Uh, And yet, as a pastor, I felt like, you know, this issue is so close to our hearts. Money affects every aspect of our lives. And just like I would not want to neglect that with my children, right? This is an important issue for me as a dad. As a pastor, as someone that God has tasked with shepherding this flock, I feel like it's my duty to to at least share with us what the scriptures have to say about this. And I felt like I've neglected this. I looked at the calendar, and it's actually been 18 months, almost 18 months since we talked about money. So this will be important for us today, whether it's your first time or your hundredth time. I hope this will be life-giving and freedom-giving for you. All right, so four lessons. We ready to jump in? Here we go. Number one, number one, here it is. The first thing we need to know if we want to live financially free is that we have to learn to live on a realistic budget, a realistic budget. No surprises here. Financial freedom comes when we live within the framework of a budget. Now, there is more in the Bible about this than you might first think. 
Look with me at Proverbs 27. It says this, Riches can disappear fast. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Riches can disappear fast. So watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks and herds. What's he talking about? This can sound a little strange to us, can't it? Flocks, herds. Well, in the ancient world, your flocks and your herds were the the equivalent of your checking and your savings account, right? That was the place that you stored your value. And any wise shepherd knew exactly how much he or she had. He or she kept a close eye on it. Why? Because as the proverb says, riches can disappear fast, just like sheep, just like flocks. And this has never been more true than it is for us today. Thanks to credit cards and Wi-Fi, it it has never been easier to spend. You don't don't even have to have the credit card. You can just kind of wave your little devicey thing. Like you can just wave at something. It's like, and it jumps into your basket. You know, it's like, whoop, there it goes, right? You don't even have to, you just wave and then it's yours. It's unbelievable. We used to have to carry, I was thinking about this. We used to have to carry around these little things called checkbooks. Does anybody remember checkbooks, right? I don't, I don't even know where I would find a checkbook today if I needed one. Like I have one somewhere in my house. I can't remember the last time I saw it. Here was the funny thing about checkbooks. When you wrote a check, you had to know that you had the money in the bank before you wrote the check. I know it sounds strange, but it, because if you wrote the check and you didn't have money in the account, what happened to your check? It bounced, right? And then not only did you not, you still owed money, but not only that, but now you also got charged by your bank like $25 for bouncing a check. And, so, and it was even worse because back in that day, at least when Miram and I were first married, we had to share a, a checking account, but we had two checkbooks, right? And so then on any given day, I didn't know if she had written a check and she didn't know if I had written a check. And so then if I wanted to buy something, just imagine this, because we'd not, if I wanted to buy something at Walmart, I had to wait until I got home to talk to my wife about if we could afford it. God be praised for MasterCard. I, don't, I just swipe, right? Whip, wave, things. This was mine. This is how it is. You remember checkbooks? What a creative. We didn't even have cell phones. You couldn't call, like, you're sending Morse code. Do, do we have money in the bank account? You know, it's just, anyway, all right, here we go. Let's back on the point. See, part of the reason why this whole realistic budget thing is so hard for us is because we don't want to know where our money is going. There, there's a little bit of pain involved when I spend money, right? When I actually watch the cash leave my hand, it hurts. I would rather just swipe and wave and not know. Now, look, I get it. This is not easy. Uh, Living on a budget is not easy. Uh, If you've never done this, if you've never learned how to say no to yourself in this way, it can be rather scary. Uh, For many of us, this will be an important first step towards financial freedom. We need to answer a couple questions if we're going to know where our money's going, if we're going to know the state of our flocks and herds. Four questions that I would suggest. Maybe you want to talk about these with your family or your spouse tonight. Four questions we need to know. How much do I own? That's your savings and your retirement. How much do you actually have? How many sheep, right? How many sheep do you have? Uh, How much do I owe? That's how many sheep you owe to some other herdsman. Uh, And then how much do I earn? That's how much money is coming in in any given month. And then how much do I spend? That's how much is going out. Four questions that you need to know if you're going to have a realistic budget. But knowing is just half the battle. Knowing is actually just the first step. You also need a plan. 
Look at how Proverbs 25:11 puts it. The plans, that's the ancient Bible word for budget, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Now, financially speaking, one of the ways that you can divide the human race into two categories is this. Everyone in the human race, when it comes to finances, is either a nerd or a hippie. You're either a nerd or a hippie. If you're a nerd, you love numbers, right? You love to plan. You love to be in control of stuff. You love to count stuff. If you're a financial nerd, you love that. If you are a financial hippie, you don't, period. Now, if you're a financial hippie, you like to go with the flow. You're spontaneous, right? You're free living. That's just, that's you. You're the hippie, right? Now, here's the thing. Every marriage... Every marriage consists of one nerd and one hippie, right? One nerd and one. So the nerds in the room. If you're the nerd in the family, raise your hand, right? The nerds, come on. My wife raised her hand on this point. Yeah, nerds in the family. All right, yeah. Now the person sitting next to you, hippies, raise your hand. Just own it, hippies. Come on, just own it, right? Right? We're already thinking about lunch. Hey, swipe, swipe, wave, wave, ding, ding. That's just us, right? Just as God has, I do not know why this is, but almost always in every marriage, there's one nerd and there's one hippie. Now, in your life, whether you're married or single, I want you to hear this. Hippies, listen to me. This is for you, okay? You, you, hippies, hippies. Here's the thing. If you are a hippie, at some point in your life, you are going to have to nerd up, okay? You are going to have to do it. There is no shortcut on this. And I'm sorry, I know your nerd is elbowing you right now. You deserve that elbow. You need to nerd up. You've got to get honest about this. You've got to say, I know it's painful, but I'm going to put in the hard work. When Mary Rob and I first got married, this won't surprise you, we had no money. I mean, we had no money. And uh, I don't know how we did this, but we ate out almost every night. We had no money. But we ate out every night. I know I can't explain it, except that we were just like going under, right? That's just what has happened. And we came to a point where I had to just get really honest with myself. I'm the hippie. I'm the one who would come home and say, you know what? I don't feel like, I I feel like in and out. Let's just go get it, right? That was just me. I feel, feel, feel. I have free spirit. And I was just digging a hole for ourselves as the hippie. I was happy, but I was a hippie and we were going under. I had to get honest about where our money was going. It was not fun then. It is still not fun now. I hate it just as much today as I ever have, but I have to do it. I'm the hippie. I've got to nerd up. One last proverb on this point, because this is so important. Uh, This is just another one. I love this proverb. Proverb 13, 7 says this. There are some who are poor who pretend to be rich and others who are rich who pretend to be poor. And I just love this verse. Pastor Flake, our Davidson Lake Forest pastor, calls this 30 going on 60. You get that? 30 going on 60. Pretending to be rich even though you're poor is what you do when you're 30, but you buy the car that only the 60-year-old can afford, right? When you're 30 and you decide to go on the vacation that only the 60-year-old can afford, Now, I say only the 60-year-old can afford. That is, if that 60-year-old has lived on a realistic budget and saved for said car and said vacation. Because there are just as many 60-year-olds who need to live, need to wait until they're 80 to live like a 60-year-old. And that's just the reality, right? We've got to get honest about this. Fascinating thing about this verb, uh, talk about nerd. This is just really cool to me. 
The verb here in Hebrew uh, is in the hithpiel form. That is uh, a reflexive verb. Do you all remember reflexive verbs from Spanish? It's a, a reflexive verb is an action that you do to yourself, right? So I wash myself. I dress myself. I feed myself. Those are reflexive verbs. So who is it that you are fooling when you pretend to be rich even though you're poor? It's not your neighbor, it's not your mama, it's not your boss, it's not your girlfriend, it's not your husband, it's yourself. You are the only one being fooled when we pretend to be rich, even though we're poor, when we live beyond our means. First step towards financial freedom is we must learn to live on a realistic budget. How are we doing on this one? Give yourself a little grade in your mind. Don't say it out loud. How are you doing on that? Lesson number two. Lesson number two. If we're going to learn to live financially free from anxiety and worry, we must learn to live free from debt. The second lesson the Proverbs teach is about debt. And oh my goodness, y'all, this one is killing us. It just is. This one is suffocating us. It's a huge issue. Debt can be a life crusher. And it can really just suck the life right out of you. Some of you are very sophisticated financially. I know that. You guys are professionals. You would say, well, Aaron, debt can be a tool that when used rightly can produce a lot of wealth. And I'm like, great. If that's working for you, you keep on going. But for the other 99% of us, debt is going to be death, right? That's just our reality. I have to tell you, I'm not a financial planner on this one. I'm not a banker. I'm just a Bible teacher. And the Bible has a ton to say about debt, and none of it is good. Not one verse of it is good. Look at Proverbs 22, 7. It says this, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is what? Slave. Debt, the Bible says, debt, the Proverbs say, is a kind of slavery. And a whole lot of us listening right now, know exactly what that feels like, don't we? We're just buried. And it's like a giant millstone around our neck. And it's, I mean, we we can't pursue our dreams. We can't can't go after what we really want in life. This day, it's just killing. It's the last thing we think about at night. It's the first thing we think about. It's just killing us. And then we go into this avoidance mode. Because it's just, too hard to look at it. We live in this denial, and it, you know, it just gets worse and worse. We got you've maxed out the credit card. You go and get another credit card to pay that one, and then you're just getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And then you start getting messages from collection agencies, and you just uh, where do I go from here? I was actually doing some research online, and I googled uh, collection agencies, and actually uh, it was funny. An ad came up. I don't know why an ad came up for a collection agency, but it did. And I just love the the name of this collection agency. This is a real business. Get this. Here's the name: Squeeze Blood from Turnup.com. How would you like to be on the receiving end of that squeezing? Right? That nobody wants to, Right? That and yet that's what debt is. We live in such a funny time. We just do. I mean, uh, unprecedented levels of debt in our culture. And again, I'm not a banker. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm just a Bible teacher. I want us to consider this. In fact, I was thinking about this point. I remembered a story from my grandma, uh, Mima, 
in Salado, Texas, and uh, Meemaw told me this story about her dining table. When she was first married, she wanted to get a new dining table. So Meemaw did whatever you did in those days. She, she went over to, I guess it was Waco's, the closest town, where, where they had a, a Woolsworth or something. She went and found this dining table she wanted. But because she couldn't afford the whole table, you know how she purchased it? She put it on layaway. How many of y'all remember layaway? Does anybody, yeah, a couple of y'all, right? Okay. Millennials are like, what? Like, uh, it's like, just, uh, here's, here's layaway. Get this. I mean, this, is, this, this blows our modern minds. Here, here's layaway. There's something you want, but you can't afford it. So you commit to buying it, but you don't get to take it home, right? You go every month and you pay just a little bit more and a little bit more. And then, do you know when you get to take the table home? when you've paid for the whole table, right? Layaway. Can you imagine? How strange. We don't, I just go swipe, swipe, ding, ding, take the table home. This is mine, right? MasterCard, woo! And I swipe and I ding, and then all of a sudden I realize that with that MasterCard, it, I'm not the master. That card is suddenly mastering me, and I become a slave to that debtor. And if this is you, I just want you to know, I just want you to know, um, there is freedom that is possible for you. I've seen it. I've seen it in the lives of Westlakers, where they just decided enough is enough. And was it easy? No, no, no. It was not easy. Was it simple? Yes. It was very simple. It was not easy. It took a lot of courage and a lot of change in their life, a lot of hard decisions. But I have seen families climb out of debt that you would not believe. And the freedom that they now feel, oh, my friend, it's worth every sacrifice, right? The borrower's slave to the lender. Okay, one last thing. I have to rant on this. I'm so sorry. Uh, I have a daughter who's getting ready to start her senior year, uh, which means we're starting to have the college conversations, right? Do you feel my pain? I was Googling, how much is my spare kidney worth? I thought that's how bad it was. I said, Oh, my word, right? So here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I came across a proverb that I had never seen before, and I just thought this was so funny. I had to share it with you. It goes like this. Just imagine your college kids. You're, you're spending umpteen billions. Here it is. The proverb writer says this. It is senseless to pay tuition to educate a fool since he has no heart for learning. I am glad my parents were not Christians and did not read that verse when I was in college, right? <laughs> Here's the thing, and again, last time I'll say this, I'm not a financial planner. I'm not telling you what to do. But the Bible would beg us to press pause and consider before we would go into exceeding debt for our kids' education. It just would, right? There's this line that I was told when I was in school that college debt is good debt. But, but the Bible says there's no such thing as good debt, right? So you've got to wrestle with that. You've got to make those choices. I can't answer that for you. But I would want to caution you. Uh, during my many years of ministry in L.A., I had the privilege of working with 18 to 35-year-olds, uh, just hundreds of them. I did more weddings than I can count, and I loved it. But you would be shocked at the number of couples who could not pursue their dreams because they were crippled with six-figure college debt. Not just one of them, both of them. Marriage after marriage after marriage, crippled by that. And before we sign our kids up for that, I just want to encourage you to think it through. What, it is, what is it that you are taking on and what are the consequences? Okay, my rant's over. That was my little daddy moment. Sorry about that. Uh, getting out of debt. Here's my summary. Getting out of debt is simple, but it is never easy. You can do it, but it will take some courage. Lesson number three. We're going to pick up pace here. Lesson number three. This one's quick. 
we're going to learn to live financially free, we must learn to save wisely. Part of the reason we lack freedom when it comes to money is because we lack margin. Y'all know what margin is. Margin is the space between what we earn and what we spend. Income must be greater than outgo, right? That, that's margin. When income and outgo are the same, there's no margin. Did you know the average person in Japan, the statistics on this blow my mind, average person in Japan saves 25% of their annual income. 25%. Average person in Europe saves 18% of their income. The average American saves less than 5%. In fact, I came across this troubling statistic in my research. You know, the average millennial, millennials, you know, the 35 and you know how much the average millennial saves? Negative 2%. Negative 2% is how much. Now, I'm not a math major, but I'm pretty sure negative 2 is not savings, right? I think that's spending, if I'm right. But we're not very good at this. We really struggle with this as a culture. See, the problem is without savings, we become exceedingly vulnerable to the enslavement of debt. All it takes is one crisis, one situation, one moment, and we find ourselves trapped. Proverbs 21.20 puts it this way. It says, the wise store up. That's save, right? The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. What's this talking about? Well, olive oil in the ancient world was the same as money. It was like the first essential oil, right? Some of y'all into essential oils. This was the first essential oil. You could trade it like money. It was a commodity, right? And so you could store it up. It was durable, and you could use it for other needs. And that's what the proverb is saying. The wise person plans for the future, but the foolish person spends everything they make. And we are not doing so well with this, guys. Statistic I read this week said in the last year, 70% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Zero margin. Zero, right? So, what do we do if we want to change this? What should we save for? Well, the first thing that all the financial advisors, all the experts, even Oprah says this, you need to save for an emergency. You need an emergency fund. And most of them say $1,000 is a great place to start. Now, when you think about $1,000, some of you are like, are gulp. Like, are you kidding me, Aaron? Like, I can't even save $10, let alone $1,000. How do I get to $1,000? Here's how you get to a savings account of $1,000. This is very complicated, so pay attention. This month, you set aside $100. Got that? Step one. Next month, you set aside $100. Okay? This is where it takes a surprising twist. Third month. You set aside $100, okay? How many months does it take to get to $1,000? See, you guys know how to do this already. Look at how, right? You can do this. Now, even better would be to save three months' worth of your salary. That's what most of the experts say. Uh, In case you lose a job or something on that scale happens. But you've got to have some kind of margin. You do it little by little. Proverbs 13, 11 says, Money that comes easily disappears quickly, but money that is gathered little by little will grow. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but the fool gulps it down. Fourth and final lesson. Fourth and final lesson. If we're going to learn to live financially free, we must practice generous giving. One of the interesting things about money is how easily money can get a grip on our hearts. 
In fact, it's like the tighter our grip comes, the more fear-driven we become with money, we suddenly discover that that money is gripping us. It's ruling us. Perhaps that's why Jesus talked about money more than any other subject. He said there, there is a kind of lifeline connection between money and the human heart. And if we're not careful, our hearts become enslaved. That's why the Bible teaches that we are to give. God created us as givers. Giving helps free us from the grip of money on our soul. Let me try and demonstrate this to you from Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Look at what the proverb writer says. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth. That's gift. That's giving. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, I love new wine. I do not know how big a vat is, but that sounds really good, right? A vat brimming over with new wine. That sounds like good to me, right? I don't know how big that is. That sounds great. But look at what he says here. This idea of first fruits. He says, give the first fruits. This is part of what the Bible calls the tithe. Now, if you've been around church for more than a week, you've heard this word before. The word tithe simply means a tenth, or literally 10%. And there are actually three different tithes that we see in the Bible. There's this one, the first fruits. There's another offering. And then there's one that was given every three years specifically for a big party. Isn't that wild? You gave this one, the first one, as a tenth to God for worship. You gave the second one to the poor in your community. And then every three years, you got to have like... I mean, this is like Lollapalooza on steroids. This is amazing, right? And so scholars believe that when you add all this up, you do the math, the average Israelite gave away as much as 28% of their income annually. Just interesting to know. But what is this first fruits? What is this first 10? And why does it matter that it's the first? I mean, 10% is 10%. It shouldn't really matter, right? Here's why it matters. The reason God is concerned about it being the first 10 is because he's not actually concerned about the money. The reason he's concerned that it's the first ten is because he's more concerned about the giver than he is the gift. We give because giving is the only thing that can loosen money's grip on our hearts. By giving our first fruits, we are saying to ourselves and to God, God, this is the most important thing to me. I recognize that every good thing in my life comes from you that you've entrusted to me, and I'm giving back the first ten to you as an act of worship, an act of adoration. That's why we give back to God. It's just giving. It's just worship. Now, uh, one last thing, just in case you're wondering, Scripture teaching on this. Uh, This business of giving is so important to God. He cares so much about our hearts being free that one of the interesting ways we see this reflected is in the number of times that the word give appears in the Bible. We would all agree the word believe. Anybody want to contest the word believe? Probably an important word in the Bible, right? Important word. The word believe appears 272 times. The word pray, word pray is pretty important, occurs occurs, uh, 372 times. Uh, The word love, ooh, that's a big one. That's, hey, huge, right? Word love appears 741 times. The word give, any guesses? 2,162 times. God cares about the giver. Now, another point I need to make here is that God is not needing our money. God does not need our money. Everything in the world is already his. He will accomplish his purposes with or without us. The purpose of the tithe is to remind us that everything we have is gift. 
The purpose of the tithe is to grow us in our heart for generosity, to grow us in our concern for our neighbor and our world. In fact, the habit of discipline, of giving, is the only thing that can free us from a life of self-consumption. When everything that comes in is used only for me, my heart withers. So, what about the church? Aaron, is the church really only after my money? Let me tell you what I think the church is about. One of the things that we often don't realize is that Wesley, the church, exists. The church is here because of the generosity of others. It just is, right? The reason that there is a church is that there was a generation that came before us and said, I'm going to prioritize this. I'm going to give my first fruits for the sake of God's mission. That's what I'm going to do. And they committed themselves to that. And that's the reason Westlake is here. And that's the reason there are stories like Emma's and like yours and like mine. Because people chose to prioritize giving and giving of their first fruits. And for many of us, we've experienced the joy of that, haven't we? We've experienced the joy of giving and seeing others blessed through that gift. But others of us have never really considered what it might look like to be a part of that. And so as we finish up this last point, I just want to give you an invitation, really kind of a challenge. Don't worry, I'm not taking an offering. Did you notice I put that before the message today? This is not a bait and switch. I hate that. There's no connection. God will not grant you more of grace or favor because you give. That is not how he works. He gives generously, lavishly. There's an invitation and a challenge I want to give you. And so the ushers are going to come. They've got a little card, and all this card tells you about is how you can be a part of giving to the mission of God at Lake Forest. And if you are already a giver, you can just take this. Maybe there's another way that would work better for you. If you've never considered giving, I just want you to take this card home. I want you to think about it. I want you to pray about it. I want you to talk with the others under your roof. What do we really believe about what God has entrusted to us? What do we really think the scriptures teach? Because you don't need to give to Westlake because Aaron gave a sermon on it. That's not a reason to give. It just isn't. But if you want to follow God in this challenge, in this invitation, I want you to pray that through with that card this week. This is how my wife and I do it. We actually give a tithe, we give 10%, and we do it through our online giving that Lake Forest has that tells you how to do it on the card. Here's why I like that. It comes straight out of my paycheck, and I never have to even think about it. Why? Because I'm a hippie. if If I leave it up to my own devices, it's not going to happen. It just won't. That's me. I know myself, so I had to set this up as an act of discipline, as an act of surrender and trust to God. I would give you the same invitation, the same challenge this week. Now, ushers, you guys can come, hand those out. We're just going to pass those down, and I'm going to keep talking. I'm going to wrap this up. Here's, here's the summary. Here's the summary of the Proverbs teaching. You all ready? Three words I want you to take away today. Three words. They're the words give, save, and live. Everything we've talked about today can be summarized by these three simple words. Give. Give of the first fruits. Give of what God has entrusted to you. Give out of worship. Save, save, save something, save something for that rainy day, save something for that unforeseen. And then finally, live, live free and live within the means of what God has entrusted to you. Give, save, live. That's the path to financial freedom. Here's how my wife and I do it. We practice something called a 10-10-80. I like to 
share this every time I preach on money because this has been such a game changer for us. We give 10, we save 10, and we live off of 80. Does it suck living off of 80? Yes, it does. Would my vacation have been a lot nicer this summer if I had tapped into that other 20? Oh, you betcha, right? We would have had two scoops of ice cream instead of one. But God's been so gracious to me. He's been so generous to me. And as I've tried to live by these principles, and as some of you have tried to live by, I have tasted of just a little bit of that freedom in my life. And as your pastor, that's what I long for, for you. It is. My ache, my heart's desire is that you would taste of the freedom that comes from managing our money the way God designed it to be. What might he do in your life this week? Let me pray for us.